Nå er det tid for nordisk på trikk. Welcome to our podcast featuring interviews, music, folk tales, and lots of hygge, all with a Nordic flavor. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. I am here today with Fiona McKenna, the host, blogger, producer, program manager, of living a Nordic life. It's, uh, well, we'll start with a website, but it's got a lot to it. It's got blog posts, it's got articles, it has eBooks, it has courses, which I now understand are video courses to some extent, recipes and podcasts. What I read was you aim to inspire and encourage people to live a simple, cozy, cozy way of living. Ihige and Langum and all that, those kinds of good things. And I noticed that you offer a lot of tips on celebrating traditions, of course, food, times of year, how to garden, how to celebrate, which is not exactly consistent with Jantelovin, but that's okay. <laughs> I saw you wrote for, and I'm sure you have a bunch of other things, you wrote for a woman's news and media called She Knows. Um, I did, yes. That was a yeah. long time ago, though, yeah. in another career, <laughs> as yeah. it were. That kind of got me started, yeah, in the in the blogging and yeah. certainly writing. I really enjoyed it. And I wrote a few articles for them that really planted the seed, I suppose, of this. And then I discovered that I had an audience of people who really wanted to know about their Nordic heritage or they wanted to know a little bit more about Hygge and they perhaps read the little book of Hygge. And they wanted to explore a little bit more. They wanted to go into it in more depth and do that wherever they were in the world. And I always maintain that, that they don't have to be in the Nordics or in Scandinavia. You can embrace this life wherever you are. Just a little bit of guidance and some enthusiasm. Well, you've certainly got that. In fact, looking at all the things that you crank out every month just makes me tired. (laughs) I don't know know how you do it. Anyway, I was attracted to your podcast, that one particular episode on Jantelovin, and we'll get to that. At the end, I'll give you a chance to kind of describe your, your site again and what you offer and how people can get on and, and listen and see you. But you, you've told a little bit about your origin story, the why of why you do living a Nordic life. But anything about you know, your, your past as an event planner, anything about your family you want to share, your health you want to share, anything like that? Well, I met my partner, Andre, who's Norwegian, in 2007. And we lived between Norway and England. I'm from southwest England, from Dorset, which is very, very different to southern Norway, which is where we live now. It's much warmer and very gentle rolling hills and we have no snow at all ever maybe you know half a centimeter every 10 years and subtropical plants and it's almost the complete opposite but we lived between one place and another and then after having two children we decided that we really wanted to give them a chance to 
learn more about their Nordic heritage. So we moved here. We already had a house here in South Norway. And we moved the whole family here and decided that we would live here for a bit and see how things went. That was 2016. And while we were doing that i had a feeling that i wanted to embrace more nordic living because we were trying very hard to combine these two cultures which can be quite different although you think really that you know probably an english culture and a scandinavian culture would be very similar they're really not and when you start delving a little bit deeply you realize that you know there's quite a culture difference and I started my blog because I wanted to write and share recipes initially because I thought yes. this is quite a lot of fun. And it became quite popular. And I discovered that I had a little bit of a following, but also there were a lot of people who really wanted to know about their Nordic heritage and learn about Nordic recipes. And maybe they were perhaps second or third generation Scandinavians living in America, mostly, I have to say, though I I do have a lot of Germans, Australians, English people reading the blog, but they'd lost touch with it a little bit. You know, maybe their grandma had died and not passed everything on and they wanted to learn more about it. And some of them also wanted to improve their quality of life. You know, we're living in a time and we have been for the last few years that feels pressured, rushed, maybe a little bit commercial. Mm-hmm. And people really wanted to go back to that kind of easy, cosy lifestyle where you can intentionally slow down. And it was a nice thing to be able to share. And so I was sharing recipes and then I thought I'll share a few lifestyle tips and it just expanded from there. And I had the idea in May to start a podcast because I thought it would give me a chance to talk to people a little bit more. The the blog is great. And I write from me, you know, it's very authentic. I don't ask anybody else to write. I do everything myself. And I really like to make it feel like I'm talking to people. But the podcast gives me a chance to really chat a little bit more and be a little bit more personal and add a few of my own opinions, (laughs) if you like. I'm always giving my own opinion on things. And make it a little less formal. So you started looking at Nordic living yourself, partly to fit in, partly to celebrate and show your kids this duality. And then you said you thought you had something to offer people in the rest of the world who were really interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. And wherever they are in the world, as well as something that I've always maintained from the beginning, that you don't have to live in the Nordics. You don't have to have Nordic heritage. You don't even have to know anything about it, really, to be able to embrace these lifestyle principles. Right. This idea of slowing down, being a little more sustainable, you know, respecting those around us, all these things that you think of when you think of the Nordics and the people who live here. Yeah. And as we've done it as well, we've we found ourselves slowing down even more. You know, we grow a lot of our own fruit and vegetables mm. in our garden. We have chickens as well we don't use any chemicals on the garden that's not intentional actually that was a bit of a kind of happy accident I have to say that we've become kind of organic we compost everything we recycle everything that's a bit of a thing here in in Norway anyway Mm. most people recycle it's really encouraged 
I do a lot of foraging. And again, that's something that is very Nordic and is very easy to embrace here because everybody does it. It's not something that's considered slightly odd. You know, you're picking dandelions to eat. You know, everybody's out there doing that. So, yeah, all of these things that we embraced ourselves and embraced with even more gusto because I used to forage in England, but not quite as much as here. And my life was fairly sustainable, but it's a lot more sustainable here. (laughs) It's nice to be able to share these things and how we've done them and, and encourage other people to do the same thing. That's neat. I like that. That's the feeling I got when I first discovered your site. Yeah. So let's, if I may, change gears a little bit and talk about this one podcast. So I came to this, I know I have a couple of Norwegian friends who one of them's in a band. And if you ask them, you know, oh, so you play the violin, they might say, you know, Lita Gran. I know a few songs. We don't show ourselves because of, you know, Jantelofen. And I said, what's that? (laughs) I had never heard of it, but I have seen it. So in my family, father and and his parents, grandparents, it's about third generation from Norway, a very stoic kind of attitude, downplaying things, accepting your lot in life, not boastful, of course. In fact, if you do excel and boast, you are shamed in some way. I've read and seen in Bergen and in Oslo, Norwegians don't go out of their way to talk to strangers. It's very true. I found that very hard when I first moved here because coming from what was a very friendly little seaside town where there were lots of tourists, if you went out and there weren't many people about, if it was locals mostly, everybody would say hello to you in the street. And then when I came here, I remember walking out in the village that we live in on one occasion and saying good morning to somebody. Oh, my goodness. They looked at me like I, you know, like I was a nutter. <laughs> Didn't reply. And I was like, oh, my goodness me, have I, have I said something wrong, you know? What have I done? But no, people don't. There are quite strict unspoken laws about how you make friends and whether you talk to people in the street. I see. If you're hiking, then that's great. Everybody talks to everybody else if you're hiking (laughs) or doing some kind of activity. But if you just pass somebody in the street, you wouldn't normally say good morning unless you know them. Right. And do you feel that's trying not to disturb someone else with your issues? Okay. Just giving them a little bit of space. And again, that's something that is rather nice, I think, in some respects, especially if you're a bit of an introvert, you kind of want to be given your space. And everybody certainly does give each other space here. And you see no. that mm-hmm. on the bus, for example. You know, if there's if you're sitting on the bus and there's a seat next to you and it's empty, nobody will come and sit there. They'll go and choose another seat somewhere else. <laughs> I've heard that Greta Thunberg has said that she is happy for this way of life in Sweden because mm-hmm. she goes out in public and she's left alone. People don't go, oh, you're Greta Thunberg. She mm-hmm. just le- is left alone. She appreciates that. So the upper Midwest, the United States, where there was a lot of Norwegians and Swedes that settled, mm-hmm. has what's been called Protestant work ethic. But what goes with it, and with Lutheranism to some extent, is a lot of these things we're, we're going to talk about. We'll talk about where the Yanta thing came from, but I think we'll agree that these kinds of unspoken things were in existence yeah, far before Sandemulsi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. I know in folklore, if a farmer or whomever is doing very well and becomes wealthy, the assumption is he's made a deal with the devil. He's going to get to have success, but he sold his soul. He is capitalizing on other people. He is finding loopholes in the rules, things like that. It was interesting. I know with a full sagrim under the waterfall, you could play violin. Ole Bull, the statue in Bergen, he was obviously one of the best violinists in the world. And where did he learn that? From an ungodly creature <laughs> like the Fossegrim. Finally, I guess something I've seen, I have a degree in Norwegian, it doesn't show, but I have a degree in Norwegian. One of the things we talked about was something called, and this was the religious side, something called the unforgivable sin. There are a lot of things you can do wrong, but the unforgivable sin was the sin against the Holy Ghost, which means... Pride, being proud is not okay. So maybe you can talk about where this modern concept of Jantelovan came from. Well, it came from a Danish Norwegian author called Axel Sandmusser. And he wrote a series of novels. He had quite a hard life, actually. Mm -hmm. He traveled about a bit and he experienced quite a lot of violence and unpleasantness. But he, once he settled down, he wrote a series of novels, and one of them is called A Fugitive Crosses His Tracks. And it's about a man in a town called Yanta, which is a fictional town, supposed to be in Denmark. But it's said that he based it on his hometown, Sandemusa. And he kills somebody, this character. And he has to flee across the country. And in the process of doing that, he learns that he's a little bit different, but he's has this pursuit of his goals and his dreams. And it comes into conflict with everything that he has learned growing up in Yanta, hmm. which is really about keeping the population under control. And there are 10 rules to Yanta's law. And then there's one kind of unspoken rule, which I think actually in modern Norwegian life is probably the one that is the most obvious. But they are all about not thinking that you're better than anybody else, not thinking that you're cleverer than anybody else, not laughing at anybody, not thinking that you know any more than anyone else. It's really basically all about modesty and thinking that everybody is equal and that you are no better or no more special than anyone else around you. And there are 10 laws. And the 11th one is, don't think that we don't know something about you, <laughs> which is probably the most worrying one. <laughs> right. The idea that somebody somewhere, you know, the authority knows something about you that you don't know that they know about you, which gives you that kind of feeling of unease all the time, or it could give you that feeling of unease. And it would certainly, if you lived in Yanta, would stop you from doing anything that you shouldn't do. Yes. Because you'd be worried that they would know something about you. But these laws, although the book was written in 1933, I think that they must have been something that for at least a couple of hundred years before was ingrained into Nordic culture. And the Nordic way of life, because, you know, Sandemusa didn't just come up with this out of thin air. 
you know, he drew on the novels that he wrote, he drew on his life experiences. Mm. So it would have been something that he felt quite strongly about. But since then, it's become a part of Nordic culture and unwritten laws that really govern society and the way people behave towards each other. In some ways, very positive because it's the cornerstone, really, of Nordic equality, which is so important here. You know, it's really valued. Making sure that everybody looks after everybody else. If you're not doing well, then we will look after you. And if you are doing well, then it's your duty to help other people so that everybody is raised up, everybody's equal. But also, it stops you from a bragging too much, like you were saying. And I found that quite hard when we first moved here, actually, because I was used to being able to talk about um, successes and things that you'd achieved. And especially working in, I worked in the event industry and it was quite hard at times, you know, a lot of work. And in order to get ahead and gain new clients, you wanted to talk about what you'd done and, you know, brag a little bit. And you really don't do that here. And the times when I did do that, not necessarily bragging, but, you know, discussing what you'd done, it was not necessarily put down, but maybe not answered. So it's this kind of silence, and then the subject changed. Mm-hmm. So you just don't do it, really. <laughs> it's different when you're talking about other people, though, funnily enough. You know, you can say, you know, my partner's done this, or my kids have done this, or my friend has done that. And that's very different. That's viewed in a very different way because you're not bragging about yourself. I see. You're talking about somebody else. I see. Very subtle. But yes, Yanta's law is something that has an awful lot of positives because, like I said, it, it governs equality. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what your background is. You are equal to everybody else. And everybody has the same rights. So although I don't have Norwegian citizenship, you know, I have the same rights as everybody else. And my partner and I are not married. We live together, but we have exactly the same rights as a married couple. And these things are really important. And that's some of the positive aspects of it. Respecting one another as well. That's another one, regardless of who you are. You could be the king or you could be somebody who's emptying the bins. But everybody deserves the same amount of respect. And it's a very informal respect as well. There's no bowing and scraping that you might be used to if you're British, for example, with the royal family. Yes. Um, you know, we're very, there's a lot of deference. Whereas here it's much more informal and everybody has an equal footing, which is a lovely thing to feel. So it definitely has a positive side. That's for sure. It does have positives. Yeah. But it also has a few negatives. And that is that you can't brag about things. And I think the thing that I notice the most is the unwritten 11th law. It could be something quite petty. We can't mow the lawn or use any mechanical things at the weekend on a Sunday. Oh, my gosh. So Yeah. No, no lawn mowing because it's church hours, which I'm sorry to say, but people really don't go to church very often here. No. So no using a chainsaw or anything noisy at the weekend. But if you do, people are quite happy to tell the police. 
and you get a phone call. It's a polite phone call, I have to say. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, it kind of falls into that. Why do you think you're anything special? <laughs> you're <Yeah>. not. <laughs> so don't use your lawnmower. You should right. use your lawnmower on the same day as everybody else. And we do know something about you. I think I can't remember if I was telling you actually a while ago about the laws governing our tax as well and the visibility of it. And I feel again that um, I'm sure a lot of Norwegians would agree with me as well that that falls again into Yanta's law, that you can't keep anything too much to yourself. So if you're showing that you have a lot of money or you're doing particularly well, then people can easily go online and search your tax records because everything like that is public. So you are no more special than anybody else. You know, we can see what you're doing and you can see what we're doing. So that keeps everybody on an equal footing. And finding people's addresses and phone numbers and emails, that's just right out there. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, even even children, which I, I don't agree with. It's a little scary, yeah. Yeah, it's maybe a little naive, but it's, again, falls into that. You're not particularly special. So I've been reading that to some extent these days, there is a backlash against Yantalova in, in, in some sectors. There was a politician, supposedly this person said, look, we're in a recession. These laws are stifling Norwegian initiative. We're just not, you know, we, and we need that to pull out. So apparently this person yanked out a copy of Yantalova and read them and then tore it up. Another person, Groharlem Bruntlan, she was the Prime Minister of Norway during the 1994 Winter Olympics. She's famous for saying, it's typically Norwegian to be good. And you can talk about what's good, accomplished, almost the best, which is really different from Jantelovin, right? Absolutely. And, and somehow that's okay for sports figures and things like that. Sounds like that is a pushback. I think to some extent, yeah, but I think when also... There are generations that are still alive who really do cling to it and like us to be living this A4 life. Everything in Norway is the best. You know, there's lots of things here that are that are great, but not everything is the best. There's no need to look any further or go any further. And Jantelovan keeps you within that. But I think the younger generation, and certainly my children's generation, you know, they're teenagers. Uh, definitely bucking against that. And I'm not sure they even really know that much about it. Mm -hmm. Although we do see it a little bit, I'm going to stick my neck out here, we see it a little bit from some of the teachers. There's an mm -hmm. idea, it's not all of them, I have to say, but because work for the children is very much differentiated. It's very much about the individual. So if within a class, if one is doing particularly well, a subject and some are not they won't all get the same work they get different work so some of them are challenged and some of them are helped but there certainly is a group that thinks that they will all rise to the same level you know everybody's equal they're no better than anybody else we don't need to do anything you know they can all be taught to the same level and they will all get to the same level and as we know that's not true how do you explain people like einstein and mary curie you know it simply exactly. isn't Act, but it's yes, it's a certain generation who have been brought up with it, and their parents and their grandparents, and I think it's difficult to get rid of. Those that are younger are 
steering away from it and probably just a natural steering away from it as well. At some point, it'll just become ever more diffused and ever more diluted. And particularly when you have an influx of immigrants like me, for example, you know, because I am an immigrant, you know, bringing my culture and integrating it into Norwegian culture and being embraced and everybody's equal. So everybody is allowed to have their own culture and use it as you want. And it'll dilute it. And eventually, you know, in probably several generations of people, maybe you've even forgotten what Yanta's law is. <laughs> it's a very multicultural society and fairly secular as well. Although the Norwegian church has some influence, it has no political influence. And there are so many different cultures and different religions here. So everybody is embraced. I mean, I wouldn't so that we would see the country particularly as Christian. I mean, I guess you might do looking in from the outside, but I mean, we're so used to there being so many different religions and everybody being accepted. I know my kindergarten teacher friend in Oslo has talked about their intentionally, they all celebrate Ramadan, they all celebrate Christmas, they all celebrate whatever Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur and and it's it's yeah very rich that way which is wonderful I think it is yeah we really like it we don't want them to lose that I think most people would feel like this as well that we don't want them to lose the celebrations that are part of the Norwegian history and culture which would be some of the Christian religions, but mixed in with an awful lot of pagan religion. You'd be surprised how many Christian festivals that are celebrated here actually have pagan roots and been combined at some point. We wouldn't want them to lose that, but we also want them to be able to celebrate the other children in the class too, if you do have children. I mean, my daughter's kindergarten, I don't think there's any that aren't either, you know, non-practicing Christians or Christians. I think they pretty much all are. But we want them to be able to celebrate other religions as well, and particularly if those children are there in the class. It's nice for them to feel inclusive. There's a surprising number of children, um, certainly in our area, whose grandparents or parents are either Sami or part Sami. I know the Oslo Folk Museum has very intentionally set aside a part of the museum for yeah. a Sami village and, and things of that nature. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. They've got a kind of standard fixed exhibition of Sami toys and Sami costumes and all kinds of wonderful things. They also had stated that there's a, an agreement that all these things that they are showing go back to mm -hmm. the north because of that history of people taking all the drums and all the other uh, types of Sami things taken away from them to assimilate them. Yeah, there was a sustained effort until about the 50s to make the Sami Norwegian, if you like, force them to learn to speak Norwegian and actively remove their culture, Yeah, which was terrible. But it's very safely guarded now, and they, they even have their own parliament. We see a lot of that during elections, actually, because we have Sami TV, obviously, and we see a lot of their the Sami elections. And it's very interesting. You're to listening see. to the Nordic on Tap podcast, Nordic Society and Janteloven. 
in which we look at the effects of the unwritten Yanta's laws on people's behavior. I'm Eric Stavney. I want to thank you, my listeners, for ongoing support, especially Lorianne, Seth, Paul, Eric B., Tom, Ruthie, and my youngest fan, Matthias. Thanks to those of you who wrote comments in the Leave a Reply field on the website. I encourage you all to do that. It's at nordicontap.com. Recently, for the Rose Malling and Church podcast, I heard from Jan, Kari, and Cheryl. Previously, I've heard from Janet, Marge, Heidi, Emily, Toby, Corey, Mike, Carl, and Linnea. Thank you. Special thank you to those of you who bought me a coffee, donated to the show, Kevin McLaughlin of the excellent music podcast at the Jazz Band Ball. I highly recommend it. And also Paula M. and Michael G. You can donate to the podcast yourself by clicking the Buy Me a Coffee button. And thank you for doing so. Now, back to the podcast. So, what is Langum? Langum, and also you've mentioned Hygge. Do you want to explain those two things? Hygge is a, a Danish philosophy, actually, and it is absolutely huge. In fact, we laugh a little bit that it's maybe a little bit bigger outside Denmark than it is in Denmark. It's really a kind of very natural part of life there and here as well. It's enjoying all the little things, the simple things, the everyday things, and really making the most of them. Something that I've built my philosophy on as well. But making the most of things like your favourite cup of coffee in the morning, Mm. or a beautiful view, or a candle, or just that moment of silence in the car on the way to work, or getting outside for some fresh air. It's a cosiness, an everyday cosiness. Lagum is a Swedish philosophy, and it's all about just enough. So I guess it, it kind of falls into the same bracket as Hugga. It's enough of everything, not too much and not too little. So just the right amount, which I guess we're all trying to embrace a little bit, aren't we? Yes. Not too much of anything, really. Not too much stress, but maybe not too much excess as well. So yes. that you just have that perfect balance. Rampant consumerism. I have to cut back on my Amazon account. <laughs> oh, have you? <laughs> we're rarely on it, I have to say. We can't really get things delivered here on Amazon. Oh, it's, it's crazy. An awful lot of tax. Well, I have to go out of my way to find other either vendors online or like you know, get in the car, go down the street to that little hobby shop and, and buy the yarn, you know, or buy the fabric. Uh, first of all, you get to touch it, right? <laughs> but you have a, a social interaction with somebody too, right? And you get to support somebody locally. Maybe if they're making crafts as well, keep that alive. And that's something that you see here a lot. People really cherish those handmade items where people are keeping a craft alive. On your program, I know you have a thing on folding heart-shaped things for the Christmas tree and weaving them we together. We tried those actually, <laughs> yes. We tried making those this year. I've never made them because it's not part of my culture. But I was, I said to Andre, it would be my partner, wouldn't that be fun to actually do that? Should we give it a go? And he said, oh, I'm sure I could do that. I haven't done it since I was about six at school, but I'll have a go. But oh my goodness, I was all thumbs. 
So we, yeah, we've given that, we've given that a bit of a miss, but I don't knit, my daughter knits, but knitting is something that you just can't avoid here. We have this little ferry that goes from a town called Cragara, which is just a bit south of us, halfway between us and Christiansand, really. Okay. And it goes between all these little islands. But in the wind, on one particular day, I think they might do it a couple of days, but they have a knitting cruise and you just book your normal trip and you take your knitting <laughs> and sit in their cafe with all the other knitters and knit while it sails around. And is there any instruction or sharing of patterns? I guess they must do. Yeah, I think probably <laughs> when they start sitting and chatting, it's probably looking at what everybody else is doing and making new friends as well in that organized activity that's so popular here it's a popular way to make friends is you go and do an organized activity and then you make friends within that and those friends stay within that activity you wouldn't necessarily invite your knitting friends your cabin friends yeah that's really interesting the question here is is what does it mean to belong to something and is that an essential human desire or it's part of being human and and a lot of people assert that it is and i believe that it is so membership in churches i just was working with the lutheran church this last year that had to close the point is supposedly young people say you know i don't want to go to church i don't want to join a church they say this is what you should do but that that isn't what i believe they have these beliefs about LBTGQ people that I don't agree with, things of that nature, fraternal orders. So Sons of Norway, to which I belong, there's a number of orders and clubs, depending on what you're interested in. Those have seen a huge drop in membership, and a lot of them are really struggling. And so I've asked my kids, how do you belong to anything if people don't go to church, which in the past has been people's entire lives sometimes? And I said, well, we have meetups occasionally. We do a lot of gaming online. But dad, we, we just don't need it. <laughs> I go, yo, are you serious? No, it's, it's fine. I, I don't know what to do with that. But but I had an interesting conversation along those lines, actually, with my son's teacher a few weeks ago. She said that our generation really has to relook at friendships mm. because you know a lot of the kids seem to be spending an awful lot of time online but that's because their friendships are there and their friendship groups and the people right. that they you know their tribe if you like and friendships don't all have to be face to face and interaction doesn't all have to be face to face maybe that's my that's my problem is online or what we're doing right now to me yeah. is part of work and when I'm done with work, I don't want to come home and turn on the computer and do a bunch of typing um, because yeah. that's that's yeah. like, that's not, <laughs> but it is, you know, for a lot of folks. So. It is. I mean, I feel I've made a lot of friends since starting my blog, actually. A lot of friends online who I probably won't ever see face to face in person. Sure. But those friendships are no less important to me than, than the face-to-face -face ones. You know, they're just as important. And they're people who I talk to almost every day, sometimes every day. And we need to look at things maybe slightly differently, you know, not the way that we've always looked at them. Mm -hmm. I think there's space for, for both types of friendships. 
Very good. Well, I'm going to have to book several more shows with you <laughs> so much. Actually, I'll be a bit more relaxed next time. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and the, and the reason, of course, folks, that, that I have asked to talk to you is I think that we, our audiences overlap. I think that a lot of my listeners are very interested in Nordic type living. And so I'll go ahead and let you do a commercial if you like, so people can know how to read your stuff, where to hear your podcasts, also Vidra, <laughs> and so forth. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Well, you can find me at livinganordiclife.com, where my blog lives. And also, you can navigate there to my podcast. And my podcast is called Living a Nordic Life with Fiona McKenna. But you'll find that on Spotify, Google, Apple, all the major podcast platforms. Right. And if you want to join my community, which I would love, then you can also find my Facebook group, which is Living a Nordic Life wherever you are. And I would be delighted if you want to come over and join us there and join in the discussion about all things Nordic and simple, cozy, intentional living. I like that. So you don't necessarily have to sign up for the VIP status to you get... certainly do not. I have an awful lot of blog posts, actually, that are within my free section, if you like, 150 or so at least. And I post a blog post or a podcast every Friday. So there's always something to read. But if anybody wants to delve just a little bit deeper or there's not enough to read and you want something like an online magazine, then I'm adding to the blog every week. Yes. So there are, I think I'm doing 11 articles a month. But I have so much to say and so much to share. Yeah, I was going to say, well, aren't you running out of ideas? I mean, it, but never, obviously never. not. <laughs> <laughs> I've always got a long list. No. <laughs> and also I, I listen to what people are saying. And if they say they want to learn about something, then I share what I know about that. So I'm trying to you know, keep my finger on the pulse a little bit, which is where the Facebook group is great because people do like to chat and it's a really nice fun, safe, engaging place for people to go. There's never any nastiness. We've got nearly 11,000 people in there. And there has, we've had maybe a couple of incidents. It's been going for three years. We've had maybe a couple of times when people have been a little unpleasant, but they get booted out because we don't tolerate any of that. You know, that's that's not the attitude. We want everybody to feel welcomed. And free to say whatever they like, you know. No trolls. It's always engaging and always fun. I do love it. Well, thank you so much. Talking about Yantelovan and everything else. Thank you. So what do you think? Have you seen any evidence of these Yantelovan strictures on the behavior of people of Nordic extraction or in any other culture? I'd like to know what that is. Please share in the reply on our NordicOnTap.com page for this episode or write to me at NordicOnTap at gmail.com. Thanks. Don't forget to check out the show notes for more information and extras from this episode. 
Depending on what app you're using to listen to the podcast, you should be able to find the show notes by looking for a button or a link labeled show notes or episode notes. And if you're using Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, you can simply scroll down while listening to an episode and the show notes should be there. For other apps like Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Podbean, you may need to tap a button or a link to access the notes. And if you're having trouble finding the show notes, don't hesitate to reach out via our website or, or write to me at nordicontap.com or leave a message on our Facebook page and we'll be happy to help you out. And if you appreciate and want to support the show, click that Buy Me a Coffee button to help us out. Of course, Nordic on Tap will continue to be and will always be free to listen to. For some good Nordic music to brighten your day, I recommend getting online with the ScandinavianHour.org. 6 a.m. Saturdays and Sundays, and again at 9 a.m. on Saturdays, streaming to you on Pacific Time. And as you may know, streaming programs are delivered to you live, as it were, so you, you don't want to miss it. As soon as the show's over, you can't go back and hear it again. My friend Seth Tufteland at the Scandinavian Hour spins a huge variety of songs, mostly in some Nordic language, occasionally English or other, from jazz to pop to dance songs, fiddle tunes, choral numbers, marching band music, it's all there. Our intro music is Inglis Waltz, played by composer Morten Alfred Heurup at mortenalfred.com, and Ruthie Dornfeld, they both have websites, as does the composer and performer of our outgoing music, Daryl Jackson. He's at DarylJacksonMusic, all one word, dot com. I'm Eric Stavney, and we say us next to gong, Nordic on tap. Hade. Hade.